Yo, it's Julian on the brand note and a review of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, um, which is, we all know the story now, how virtually every single comic book superhero movie since the Marvel film Endgame has been dire, done terrible box office, been rubbish by critics, and that is pretty universally true. Um, he, I mean, the DC universe was always like that to a degree anyway, and the once bulletproof Marvel Universe descended to that and it's just been a lot of diminishing returns that everyone hopes will end but they keep piling money onto these films and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 buck that trend is behind two super powered films the Super Mario Brothers and Barbie as the third most financially successful film of the year and got very good reviews it's one of the only um, recent comic book post endgame comic book superhero movies that has a reason to exist or that feels of a quality and essential nature that it could have been part of that golden era which ended a long time ago now and it's got a very strong plot basic plot which is that it bases itself around the character of rocket raccoon played by badly cooper who probably didn't expect it to go quite this heavy um, so it goes back to his past as um, a, a wildly experimented on uh, fabricated being who possesses massive intellect and at the start we see him get the character played by Will Poulter, Adam Warlock. He attacks where the Guardians are now living uh, so they're all sort of harmoniously living on this giant floating skull, which is a, an, an old celestial being, which was uh, somewhere called Nowhere that they visited in the previous films to get one of the Infinity Stones. And now it's um, their base, and they've got lots and lots of people that like the Ravagers and so on that used to be enemies, and they're all friends together. And this Adam Warlock turns up and tries to take Raccoon away and ends up nearly killing him. And we find out that he is the property of this very powerful science division, this massive corporation, who had invented him and fitted him with a kill switch so that they could, if anyone tries, they try and resuscitate him and they're stopped because it will kill him. So they actually then have to go off and find the people that made Rocket to get the way of disabling this sort of inbuilt booby trap inside him while he's at death's door. Interspersed with that is the early life of Rocket. And we find that he was built in a laboratory, kept in horrific conditions, experimented on. And the whole thing is down to the character of... Who's play? Who plays him? Uh, Chakwudi Iwuji, who is the high evolutionary and i believe in comic book law he started on earth but basically he's this scientist who is incredibly cruel and sadistic and nasty who has developed a way of um putting an animal into a chamber and going through millions of years of evolution so that the you know a mouse will end up walking around in a suit and tie and talking to you and he keeps trying to rebuild Earth to be better than Earth was and then just destroying everyone living there because it didn't quite live up to his expectations. 
And the Rocket Raccoon character was shown to be someone that possessed an intellect that was far greater than anyone could have realised. And he wants it back. He wants Rocket back. They found out that he's still alive, out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. He wants Rocket's brain to find out what he did right with that particular experiment. So the rest of the film is the Guardians of the Galaxy fighting against the high evolutionary to try and disable the booby trap on Rocket and to make him alive and free again, and the high evolutionary trying to kill Rocket and take his brain and work out what they did so right with that particular experiment. There are numerous side quests on the way and far too many side quests on the way. Probably the most prominent is the fact that Gamora, who was killed famously by Thanos in uh, Infinity War, returns here. And the reason she returns is because in Endgame, Thanos managed to travel forward in time past the events of Infinity War. So that Gamora is the one that's alive now. She doesn't know anything about her relationship with uh, the Chris Pratt character, Peter Quill, the leaders of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They were in love and everything. But she has no knowledge of that life. She is still much closer to this really quite violent, toxic, horrible person who she was when she first appeared, having not gone through any of that transformation, making him very sad sack and so on. Um there are far too many side quests it's two and a half hours long and they could have ditched a lot of them because the core principle here of the plot is so strong that we don't need to keep going on detours and it does detour a lot um the thing that i really want to bring up about this film is how upsetting it is um the guardians of the galaxy was a blast of fresh air very humorous very funny very witty great soundtrack this one's got a much better soundtrack than the second one, which was like retreading the first. There's a lot of really interesting uh, tune choices here, which I thought were very, very good. Particularly the um, very sad sack opening of Rocket listening to an acoustic version of Creep by Radiohead, which is a really unusual way of starting and taps into the fact that there's a lot of maudlin sadness and despair and everything going on here. And also the, those elements of alienation in Rocket which have only ever been referenced in a sort of pithy and acidic way by him, are much more hard-hitting here. Um, but the material in this is by far the most upsetting and extreme of any of the comic book superhero movies of the modern era. To an extent, I would not recommend taking a child to this. People joke about how the hell did Raiders of the Lost Ark get a PG rating with face-melting Nazis and so on. This is like five times as bad. It actually upset me watching it. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a, you know, I think that that was the strongest part of it. What we see about Rocket growing up and his childhood conjures up not only like the horrors of animal testing, but the squalor that they're living in and the disdain they're treated with conjures up things like the Holocaust and the the World War II Japanese and Nazi experiments on humans and he has three friends with him in this horrible dank rubbish strewn dungeon that they live in who are um really messed up versions of like an otter a rabbit and um i can't remember what the last one is 
but they've all got these horrible things done to their bodies but they i thought one of the worst parts about it was they greet their horrific environs and life with this unremitting positivity and guilelessness and that made it much worse um, and so we learn all about this really tragic past of um, of Rocket, but it's the most extreme. There's gore, but the th- even above the gore and the violence, which is m- really extreme for this kind of film, is the themes of you know human and an- animal experimentation, and it's horrible. It really is horrible. And I, I just kept feeling so sad because they're so happy, they're so positive in their outlook about one day that they'll be free in this utopia, which of course isn't the truth. And you really do get this amazingly dark grounding on who Rocket Raccoon is. It's tough stuff. You'd traumatize a child if you took him to this film. How this got a PG rating is absolutely baffling. This has got far more extreme content than Oppenheimer, which got an R rating. Um, and I found that I thought those were the strongest elements of the film, even if they're by far the most upsetting. The other thing that it reminded me of is the legendary uh, Japanese cartoon um, Akira, where they had the three or four kids all in being experimented on, all with powers, and living in this sort of very dark world. And that is kind of... It reminded me a bit of that. I wonder if that was a reference point. So all of that about it is incredibly strong. It just gets let down in the fact that there's too much side waffle. It keeps going off on tangents. Another thing that was a bit odd but perhaps inevitable is none of the characters had that same link or charisma as they had in the previous films. They all felt like, you know, when friends go away on holiday and then like years later they just there just isn't that. They've grown apart. It does feel like that. Um, and I thought the, um, the the standout character in the previous um, films, Karen Gillian's Nebula, was came across quite different here. Even looked a bit different. Um, so there wasn't really that sort of camaraderie of the previous films uh, involved either. Um, and the ending was a little bit of a, a, a letdown as well. It was a little bit um, overblown, yet not quite substantial enough. Um, and it looked great particularly when they went to find the um, science labs and everything was like the, all of the space station and everything was organic matter it was amazing to look at so even though I've been negative about a fair few elements um, that you know those bits aren't great the stuff about rocket and everything is is like way above what even the good Marvel films are so a mixed bag, and it and it is tonally all over the shop because you get these incredibly upsetting passages, and then they try and do the whole jokey thing again, which doesn't work quite as well here. But I'm still going to give Guardians of the Galaxy three and eight out of ten because, despite lots more faults than the previous films, two was a retread that didn't need to be. This is a lot more disjointed and all over the shop, but the powerful stuff here is way above virtually any other Marvel movie. So 8 out of 10 for Guardians 3, 